Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the last in our little Ramadan mini series of football villains. Uh, I don't know what I've called it, Ramadan football villains or villains. Um, because last 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 year Ramadan we did football and heroes, so now we're doing football and villains. And this is something that um, I've really wanted to just finish off in style. So if I needed someone to finish off in style, there's no better person for me to really ask from the co-host from the host. You don't have a co-host, do you? It's literally, well, isn't it? He's on a bit. He's on a bit of a break. Technically, yeah. But, yeah. So uh, technically, like in some of them, I've heard yeah. them, but some of them I haven't. I'm just like, is he just like a recurring guest? Is he there or not? Yeah. No, that's great. Um, I messed up that introduction. But um, are you okay to just introduce yourself for everyone listening? Um, for us because I'm yes, yeah. So I'm Jack from the For the Love of Lists podcast or FT Lol podcast. It's a bit of a handful to say, and yeah, we just do mostly like top ten top five list about football and sometimes we get people on to talk about their the, the best players they've played with or players of their teams that they support so yeah it's all it's all sort of that sort of stuff lists and and ranking topics and stuff so yeah this one will be good today oh, for yeah. that sort of stuff yeah i apologize Jack, for messing up your intro because i was getting a bit <laughs> of myself but literally um, if anyone wants to find Jacks for the love of this podcast or FTLOL, you'll see a big orange, no, big blue, black and red logo on Instagram, and you'll find that there. He's, he's big on Twitter as well, so it's quite good. Reading some of your FPL stuff from fantasy football when I'm bored at university and just reading it back, I'm like, oh yeah, I can see your replies and stuff of who to put in, and I'll sneakily put some of your suggestions into my team. Yeah, team, I'm not doing as good this good. year, but I think last year I got around like 20k in That's the world cool. so that was pretty good yeah it's not bad at all um but my main thing for jack is the fact that he actually has some very good guests that he's had on on his podcast recently so it's a pat nevin um obviously the broadcaster journalist as well who's also been in the comment commentating before as well former football player and matt jarvis matt jarvis who uh doesn't really um scare anyone as much as man united fans when he had that amazing run on the wing and nearly got Thing is, where's Brown sent off? He had to get subbed off in the League Cup in one of the games. Matt Jarvis, former former Hampton player, so and has got has had what Greg Halford as well, haven't you? You've had in your podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but no, it's, it's, they've been good to listen to for me personally, and I'm just there like, oh, let me try and get them on. But now they just blank me, so I'm just there like, nah, okay. They clearly, they clearly like. You're doing podcast. all right though. You're doing all right on that side of it as well. Yeah, we're doing okay. It's been it's been nice this year because we've had more recognition as well, which has been good. So we've had different collaborations. We've had different people recommending other people to come on. So it's been great that way as well. Uh, different uh, world class journalists that we've had. We've had Shamoon Hafez from the BBC, Anthony Hay from the Athletic, which was quite fun to have on as well. Um, yeah, it's been it's been quite good. But it's just the fact that we're trying to get like like with you, get footballers on who we grew up watching in our era. But they're just like, nah, you're right, mate. Like, no, no, it's not great. Because I'm, I'm trying to get them, um, like we've been discussing before, through different means of contact. And some of them are like, yeah, yeah, we'll have a go. And they just never respond to me ever again. So, yeah, it, it is what it is. But Jack's got the magic touch on for the Love of Lifts podcast and hopefully brings it over to here for his football villains list as well. So, Jack, first things first, who's number one? Because we're going to go one to three. And if you have any more villains, just shout them out throughout the whole podcast on your list of footballing villains right so my number one my biggest villain as an Arsenal fan has got to be Cashley Cole what 
Ashley Cole as your main yeah. villain? Yeah. Really? Yeah. He, when he left, I think this is where I lost a bit of uh, my childhood, a bit of naivety maybe, hmm. in that this is when I realised that footballers were all mercenaries and or you know, a lot of them are and stuff like that. And I definitely think over the years, uh, I've become more relaxed on him and, you know, uh, I can see why he left and I can see there was faults in the Arsenal board and not keeping him on. But at the time, yeah, I've never felt a painful transfer like that of someone leaving the club. Like just what he represented, um, he, he's got to be number one for me. And it's a very personal one because there's a couple of others I've got on my list which definitely more villains mm. uh, to the wider football piece but yeah as an Arsenal fan that one really hit hard when he left. Uh, that's fair enough I get it from an Arsenal point of view it's just for me I was kind of more looking at again the era that you and I grew up in in terms of the the more of the villains against Arsenal but technically he is a villain against Arsenal after being at Arsenal so it makes it even worse as well but what I've always said to um, Arsenal fans when Ashley Cole has left is you kind of feel like Spurs fans when Sol Campbell left for Arsenal as well. That's how you've been... That's how Arsenal fans treated Spurs fans for a good number of years when Sol Campbell left for Arsenal. Yeah. And then Chelsea fans were coming up um, out of the ground, like as we know at that time, when they were like, oh yeah, I support Chelsea. And then like Ashley Cole would be like one of their big players under Jose Mourinho. And for a snippet at, what, £15 million Plus William Gallas as well, incredible. No, I think it was. I think it was. Um, it was about five. Was five it five and Gallas? I think fifteen was like the. What because they must have rated Gallas at ten, even though yeah. I'm not sure. So I yeah, think that's it where was, the it wasn't a like for like replacement, was it, William Gallas? No, no, definitely not. Not at all. But you did have a young Gail Clichy coming through as well. So that was a, that was a wasn't the worst things in the world, but but um. Focusing more on Ashley Cole when he moved to Chelsea. Again, we're not really going to be talking about the good things. We're talking about the bad things and what you hate about Ashley Cole as well. Because this is what is literally just therapy throughout the rest of this podcast, Jack. When you saw him in the Chelsea shirt and when you saw him literally putting in those seven, eight, nine out of ten performances week in, week out in the Champions League, in the Premier League for England still as well. How did that kind of make you feel and how did you kind of realise that, oh, yeah, this is kind of what it's like for footballers. Um, but I'm, I'm learning about it the hard way because it's from my team that he grew up, he came through the academy, he played for us, he was one of the invincibles. And now it's just at Chelsea. How did that make you feel in a way, Jack? I'd, yeah, I, it just made me feel like there's no loyalty in football. And like the whole, I think the fact that he came from the academy and yeah, he grew up and he was supposed to be like a future captain. Mm. Yeah, I, I think... Yeah, it just I did lose a bit of hope, and maybe if that sort of transfer happened now, as a sort of twenty odd year old, then I wouldn't feel the same. But because it happened when I was uh, about twelve, thirteen, something like that, that's that's kind of what, like oh, that's the big first betrayal one. Obviously, Sol Campbell the other way. Um, <laughs> I don't have any grumblings about that, but yeah, when it happens to your own team. But some of the some of the best atmospheres I've been to at the Emirates have been against Chelsea, and it's one because it's Chelsea, but two because of Ashley Cole and, and all the chants going mm. on and, and things like that. So 
yeah, I mean, that side of it was fun, I suppose. But one of my favourite ones as well, sorry to interrupt that, was when, um, do you remember when Chelsea drew against Arsenal at the Emirates and Jose Mourinho was there as well and he kept saying chin up to the Chelsea fans? Because Ashley Cole, I think that was his first or second time back at Arsenal. And that's when they had, they were like a week or two before they lost the league against Manchester United as well. That's something I, think that we, I remember as well. I think, um, yeah, I was at that game. So that was his first. I don't, I'm not sure he actually played, but he was in the squad. Yeah. But it was, I think that first season, Gallas didn't play at Stamford Bridge and uh, Cole didn't play at the Emirates. But yeah, I think we actually won you the league that season. That that game, I, that game, yeah, that was the, that was like the you beat City the game. day before, maybe or something like that. Mm. It was it was crazy that as well because it, it meant that a week or two later, Man United were given a guard of honor against Chelsea um, at Stamford Bridge as well. So they just lost the league. They'd have to give us a guard of honor with all of our reserve players and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Gabriel Lense leading the team out, basically, which I thought yeah. was hilarious. I thought it was fantastic because you're just kind of there, like. Oh my days, Dong Fanzu's getting a walkout with like <laughs> Ashley Cole and uh, Petr Cech, John Terry. They're all kind of there just clapping them on the pitch. These are the new champions. Chris Eagles was in that lineup as well. Incredible. And I'm just kind of there like, yeah, they kind of deserved it in a way because he moved from Arsenal after his last ever game for Arsenal was in that Champions League final against Barcelona, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And literally, he did so well for Arsenal. He did really well for Chelsea and for England as well, respectively. But just before we move on to the next one, if you had to meet Ashley Cole in person, would you shake his hand or would you like ignore him or would you just like give him abuse? So you've got those three options. So if you saw Ashley Cole one-on-one, hey, Ashley, would you like to come on my podcast? Or hey, Ashley, F you, what would you kind of do? I'll, yeah, I'll probably just ignore him, to be honest. Mm. Like I, I genuinely, it's not someone that I would like look to get on <laughs> i know it's a big name and stuff but yeah there's I'll, no respect I'll, there basically not really no brilliant no and jack's, just... got, jack's got the concepts of football villains for this and i was like, I'm like oh no I'm, not, I'm gonna forgive him he's a nice guy nah jack's going in for this so i love it brilliant um but no any final words on ashley cole anything nice or dis uh this low well he's a disloyal player anyway but anything else you want to say on ashley cole before we move on um yeah, I, I will just say, I suppose, like, obviously, I I really don't like him, but I I can't deny that he was a top player like, mm. and one of one of the few that actually played as well for England as they did for their club. Because obviously, like, Gerard and Lampard and that didn't play as well for England. But, yeah, so I, I can't deny he's a top top player. But, yeah, just just in terms of that bit, it's just a bit... He's got to be a top villain for me. Definitely. No, Ashley Cole's top villain today. And when, whilst you were talking about Ashley Cole as your top villain, it reminded me of someone else as well. So from Manchester United, uh, moving to Manchester City. So for me to, uh, to bring in my footballing villain today, Carlos Tevez. That guy, I thought it man. might be him, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was the one that... Because I had normally link it to whatever the guest kind of had. And I thought, you know what, Carlos Tevez, who... For two years, was my favourite player, my favourite striker. Even on his bad games, he would be working his socks off. He'd be tearing up defenders. He may not score or assist, but he'd still be uh, ruffling the feathers of these defenders against the likes of Aston Villa or Blackburn, Portsmouth, whoever it was, even these, in these games. that In his second season, he was playing more of than in the first season because we had just had Dimitar Berbatov as well. 
And then it was a whole thing of the, the agents thing of who was owned by. That whole thing was a, a shambles as well. And then he, I remember him scoring against Manchester City, 2-0. I think it was in April or May 2009. He goes up in front of Strikes Ferguson, puts his ears, his hands like on his ears like that. And you're just saying, like, what is this guy doing? Let's play the game. Ridiculous. And the fact that he wanted to go to Liverpool as well, just to rub it in the rub the salt in the wounds after leaving Manchester United, really tore the heart out of a lot of um, Man United fans. Because again, it's kind of like when some people from us, Man United fans, we're just kind of there, like, oh yeah, this is how it feels when one of your favorite players is leaving after Ronaldo had left as well to go to a mm-hmm. to a rival. So that's why I can kind of relate to the whole Sol Campbell actually whole thing. And then you went to Manchester City. Fortunately, at the time, I didn't know any Manchester City fans, but the fact that Manchester City ended up winning the FA Cup, they beat us in the semi-final 2011 as well, Yaya Torre, where Tevez started. And you're just kind of there like, this is ridiculous, man. He's celebrating at Wembley against us after he didn't win a semi-final with us against Everton when he started that game as well. Um, But no, Carlos Tevez, I've disliked him, especially when he won the league with Man City. And then he had that whole rest in peace Fergie sign as well. And you're just like, that's just disgusting. And even Manchester, yeah, it's it's really bad. It's shocking. I'm like, you just this is this is disgusting. But what's worse is the fact that he actually, um, he actually uh, refused to come onto the pitch against Bayern Munich in the Champions League the next season as well. If you remember, Roberto Mancini told him to warm up. He warmed up, then just went back onto the bench. I was like, no, I'm not going on. Can't be bothered. Then he goes to play golf. So in the end, even though he's one of the first major catalysts from Manchester City's point of view along the likes of, like, companies, Abeletta, Yaya Torre, Gareth Barry, and probably Joe Hart as well, I'd say, in that new era when they're coming through that new age, the blue moon was rising, with Carlos Tevez at the forefront of it until he got dipped. And then Aguero came in, Dzeko came in, um, and then they took more top bullying. And Balotelli as well. He, was a four, he went from the first-choice striker to the fourth-choice in over a season and a half. Yeah. And I thought that was poetic justice, to be fair, because he just kept moving on, moving on. Lost the Champions League final against Barcelona for Juventus, which I found quite funny as well. And yeah, it's it quite good to see how Carlos Tevez, when he was at one of the peaks of his career at Manchester United, Man City, just going downhill. So here's my football and villain today. But Jack, do you have anything to add um, on Carlos Tevez at all? Yeah, just it's a very similar scenario to Ashley Cohen. That, yeah, he's gone across the road to the rivals and yeah, I guess unlike some of the other ones that have left Arsenal, uh, he did have a lot of success at Arsenal because people like Fabregas and Adebayor and stuff, they didn't actually win any trophies with us. Mm. Um, and I guess it's the same for Tevez. He won he won stuff with you and then he left. But I guess, thankfully for you, like he did miss the, the real success of City because it was probably when he when he left to Juve that City started winning a bit more but I guess he might have still won stuff at Juve yeah he won a couple of trophies in Italy so he was helped that's when they won like seven leagues in a row or eight leagues in a row oh yeah as part of that which was fine but it's just again it's for me at the time because I wasn't watching Italian football then properly I would just get there like oh yeah Champions League final Barcelona Luis Enrique's Barcelona I see him lose I don't know if Evra was on that team and Pogba was on that team and Tevez was there and just said, like, ah, Tevez is in tears. I love it. Brilliant. And it goes to show you can be a mercenary all you want, but the passion's still there in some of these players. And you're just yeah. kind of there, like, yeah, they're losing, which is which is fun to see. 
But yeah, that's my little rant on Carlos Tevez, which I kind of needed um, to continue with this podcast as well. So, Jack, bring us up to number two on your list. Who have you got for your second footballing villain? My number two is a proper, not just a footballing villain, but it turns out a pretty serious villain in his mm. own right. Uh, Roman Abramovich. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know what we can say on this, but... I don't know what's um, going to happen as well, because this is going to be released in mid-April, yeah. April as well, so we're going to see what happens. But, um, yeah, touchy subject, but we'll go for it, Jack, because obviously there's so much to talk about Roman Abramovich. So yeah, I'll, go I'll, ahead, I'll go keep ahead. it. I'll keep it football related, but he just represents like the start of money, you know, or to me, the start of money and this hyperinflation of transfer fees and big spending and the whole sort of big six, super six type stuff, really. And I know Chelsea were decent before he came along, but yeah, he, he's just sort of taken him to another level and that's really hurt the likes of your club and my club and I suppose Liverpool as well in terms of trophies uh, that that they've won and, and stuff like that and yeah I, I feel like he was the first sort of foreign owner to come in and just splash the cash and yeah it was just unfair I think on, on the rest of the league for a few years before that whole FFP stuff came in and yeah he's He's a villain for that, really, just messing up the landscape of football. He really did. And it's, it's quite sad the way that he did it as well. He just came in, found found somewhere to park his helicopter, find somewhere where he can uh, lay up for a couple of years as well, which he did in London. And the fact that even now, obviously, at this time of speaking, you're seeing Chelsea fans sing his name after everything that is done, everything that is proven guilty of doing... Um, Again, not football-related, but it just goes to show how toxic the club has kind of come in a way because of what he's done and how he's done that. And people then going, oh, yeah, he's one of the best owners of all time. For a Chelsea point of view, definitely is because he got them to be a lot more relevant, got them a lot more uh, players. But it's all the things as well that has that rippling effect because the Super League was kind of started off again with Roman Abramovich wanting to be a part of that as well. And there's the fact that Again, some of these players' wages from when we're talking about, again, in 2004, 2005, it changed the landscape of a lot of how football was seen in that time as well. The fact that people were getting on ridiculously high wages, getting these new contracts, these new signing bonuses as well, because the owner could afford it. The manager could afford to bin off a manager every two, three seasons if they're not doing good. What really got me was when he binned off Carlo Ancelotti. Won them the, I think it was the FA Cup in the second season. No, yeah. he won double in the first season, but I don't think he won anything in the second season, but he didn't win the Champions League and then he binned him off and then they got VS Boas. I'm just there like, oh no, it's just going to keep changing managers because he can afford to give them um, the, the fee, the compensation fee, which is crazy. And then that's, for me, that's kind of got a lot of football fans to change their perspective on football because they're like, oh yeah, Chelsea are still getting success year in, year out. But the fact that the owner can then just have temporary joy, temporary glory in terms of winning um, a trophy every other season because he changes the manager all the time. I think it's disgusting because there's like literally, like you said before, there's no loyalty in football. And if there's no loyalty in football with a manager, how can you kind of just relate to some of these players, some of these managers? Carlo Ancelotti's done it all over the world. And I'm, I've am i got his book and I find it fascinating how, he, how he's done that. 
what, six different countries. And it's fantastic to see. But I'm just kind of there, like, if you're an owner and you want to do well, yeah, it's a good way of doing it. It keeps everyone fried and it keeps them on your toes. But there's no substance to that anymore. And you, the fact that you see it nowadays as well, Jack, some managers having two seasons and they're getting binned off. And it's for clubs that really can't afford it. The likes of Crystal Palace, the likes of Watford sacking them every other season as well. You're seeing it all over the all over the league. And you're seeing it going through the whole football league as well, which isn't great. Remember um, Lille um, sacking their manager because they didn't want to pay him the money after he won them the league for the first time in God knows how long last season. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're not going to pay you. And you're just like, okay, I have to go. But it just shows that there's so much contemporary success now in football that people appreciate it. And it's all kind of started from Roman Abramovich because he made it mainstream to kind of be that kind of way in football to show that there is no loyalty in um, sticking with a manager. And if you stick with a manager too long, it could um, the players will see it through as well. Manchester United are victims of that in terms of giving Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a bit more time than um, people thought he would do. But then when you see the players just not trying for him, not trying for the badge, it goes to show that they're just like waiting for something new to happen. And I hate it. It's disgusting for me personally. Yeah, that's that's a great point on the, the manager stuff. And when when we were growing up, it did feel like most clubs, their managers would stay there for like five to ten years. And yeah, now the average time that a manager's in in a position is like, yeah, probably a couple of years. If you're at Watford, it's six months. Mm, literally. And, yeah and it yeah he as you said he made it mainstream i think partly also florentino perez who's another one that to yeah. be honest could be tarred with the exact same brush on so many so many things but i've kept it i suppose i've kept it a bit more local bit, bit premier league right. and 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 picked ran abramovich but those two are pretty much two sides of the same coin in in how they operate in a lot of ways yeah, exactly. Because you're just kind of, the, it's li- literally like I said before about Roman Rummage, football related as well. You're looking at him thinking, okay, cool. He can spend a good 70, 80 million in the transfer window. And then he can then just bin off the players the next season as well because they're not good. Or he'll loan these players out. Like the loaning system at Chelsea by, we said it previously on a different podcast a couple of weeks ago. The amount of talent Chelsea has in their squad is really, really good. But because yeah. they're just bit part players, they don't get to shine properly. They don't get to develop themselves properly. And we've seen it over the years. We've seen it with, obviously, De Bruyne, with Mohamed Salah, um, even with Oscar to an extent as well. He's there. Then he goes to China because he wants more money. The fact of the matter is, if he wasn't given such a high wage so early, he may have gone on to play good things for like a Juventus, an Inter Milan, um, even a Sevilla in a Europa League, whatever it is. But he has more substance. But everyone just forgot about Oscar because he moved to China. But you're also thinking of all of these younger players, these Charlie Masonders, the Kennedys, Lucas Piazons, all of those. They're just being washed around Europe, basically, in terms of loan deals and going all around to develop themselves. But they have no home. Ruben Loftus-Cheek is like 25 years old now. And he's been on loan since he was like 18 at Chelsea. Odd season yeah. here and there where he's staying at home, which is great. But you're just kind of there thinking like, it needs to be a bit more substance in how they're doing it because they just run it more, again, business orientated. But at the end of the day, they're human beings and they need to develop themselves better to get the most of that out of their career. But if the most of their career is to get as most the most money out of it, again, following the owner's um, thought process, then that's, that's what it is at Chelsea. But 
I've always been that guy that argues with Chelsea fans in terms of, oh, yeah, your young right winger, Callum Hudson-Doy, is really good, or your centre-back, Tomori, is really good. And then they're like, no, nah, he's not very good. We'll get rid of him. And you're just there like, we've seen this before when they get rid of players really early because they just have that, he needs to be ready now. If he's not ready now, he's not going to be ready. And you're just kind of there like, it's not always going to be like that in football, but for Chelsea, it always has been since Roman Abramovich has been in charge at Chelsea Football Club because that's the way that they think. Yeah. Yeah, there's like, there's no long-term stuff now whatsoever. It's all, it's all sort of, yeah, you've got to get stuff done immediately. And mm. they have done well, but I mean, you know, City have won the same or more. By by the time, probably the end of the season, they've potentially won more league titles in the last sort of 10 years than Chelsea have in 20-odd. Mm. Um Liverpool have won the same amount of Champions Leagues. United have probably won more trophies overall than than Chelsea. So they have been very successful, but you could argue that there's still two or three clubs that are more successful in that in that time period. And yeah, definitely in that time period yeah. as well. And it's the fact that um even with Jose Mourinho, when he went back to Chelsea as a Man United manager, like, oh now they're calling me Judas because of me leaving but he was the one that made them relevant in terms of a manager. And it just goes to show that the fact that Jose Mourinho had a couple of disagreements with Roman Abramovich and then he left in like August or September of 2006. Um, no, 2007, so 2007 before Abraham Grant came in to interim manager for the rest of the season. It just goes to show that he doesn't care who the manager is. He'll get rid of him, even if they've mm. literally got him that success in, in football. And that's what he did. Did that with Sari when he won the Europa League. With Lampard, a club legend, like he had to got rid of him as well, but he gave him a lot of time. He did Frank Lampard a year and a half, which is more than a lot of managers normally get at Chelsea as well. So that was something that was something crazy at the same time. It was incredible. Um, but yeah, any final words on Roma Abramovich, football related, Jack? <laughs> um, no, not not really. To be fair, but yeah, I just think he's you're seeing you're seeing a few other people trying to do what he's doing now. And, mm. Yeah, just doesn't. It's just not right, really. Yeah, not because cool. you're just kind of there, like thinking, how can a manager develop? How can you settle in if you're only mm. giving him six months a year? Players don't even get that much as well sometimes as well, and you're just literally just there, like, oh no, how much more can we do to get this guy on on top of on top of the team? But it just doesn't work as well. It really doesn't work, which isn't great. Oh my days. I'm now feeling really bad because we've talked about two players who we both don't like and three players in total, um, which hasn't been the one. I didn't know if you like Carlos Tevez or not, so I didn't, I didn't include him in that list. Um, but yeah, Jack, final villain for today. Let me hear it. Who have we got? Okay, I don't think this guy will be a villain for you, but you might have someone similar because mm. most clubs do. So my third villain is a referee. Uh, it's Mike Dean. He's recently... Uh, announced he's going to be retiring at the end of the season. Oh, my days, Mike Dean. Uh, and I know all clubs have their kind of bogey referee, really, but yeah, ours is Mike Dean. Um, we, our sort of win percentage when Mike Dean is in charge is like half <laughs> what it is compared yeah. to normal, mm. which, you know, and there's been some incident. I mean, even this season, do you remember when the uh, Bukayo Saka got kicked up in the air by James MacArthur. 
Yeah, it made no uh, sense that. It was odd. Yeah. Really odd how he got away with that. Yeah, so he was the ref for that. And he's been sort of videoed sort of celebrating the goal that Tottenham scored against us. Viral. Uh, literally viral. Yeah. yeah. And I'm trying to think what else. Uh, I think there was a dodgy red card in a game against Chelsea. I think they beat us and Diego Costa was at our defenders all day, no booking and stuff. And yeah, he just loves to to pull the card out. And we've, I think the stats go around, we've got the most red cards in Premier League history. And he gives a lot more red cards out than the most refs and he mm. tries to make it about himself. And yeah, he's, he's also refed a disproportionately high amount of games for both us and Man United as well. I think the stats yeah. come out where we're the two teams that he's ref the most. Um and it's yeah, it's something like two or three times more kind of than he should have by the average of the amount of teams. And yeah, I just don't like the way that he refs and he kind of makes it about himself. He's he's almost a bit of a celebrity these days, which is a bit weird as a as a ref when you're still reffing to be that fair enough when you've retired but yeah I, I just don't like him and partly because it was we just have really poor results mm. when he's in charge and I think that's can't completely be a coincidence Mike Dean referees a good number of away games for Manchester United and like you said he is very card happy very trigger trigger happy but Mike Dean, again, he loves to show a red card against us. He loves to show multiple yellow cards against us. He loves to not check the monitor for VAR as well. Because I think that's where he's going as well. I think he's looking at VAR as a permanent thing for him. That's why he's going to retire from on-pitch refereeing, um, but to go to VAR as well. But ridiculous how many away... Yeah. There was a period from like uh, 2018 to I think it's like almost nearly two years where he never managed a home game at Manchester United and they were just all away games and it's just crazy the amount of yellow cards he dish out I remember him dishing out um I don't know who it was in the FA Cup yeah we lost in the F was it FA Cup FA Cup was it? it was one of the games but we we lost the game and you're just kind of there like why is he dishing out red cards left right and center which is what he does yellow cards especially as well and it's quite sad to see how the referees who are literally there to control the game, mediate the game, who are just there like, oh, no, I know the camera's going to be on me. I can't give this guy a yellow card. I can't do this um, to ruin the, the appeal of the game. I remember one of the games, he was, um, he was VAR. I think it was Man United versus Chelsea. And then, like, um, I think it was when hudson Doy handled the ball inside an empty Stamford Bridge. And then I think the ref went over to look at it. I think it may have been Anton Taylor. But I'm just there, like, look at the... It was literally handball, and it just didn't yeah, work. Yeah, I remember that game, yeah. Awful. Was it nil-nil or something like that? Yeah, it ended nil-nil. And you're just kind of there, like, come on. Like, show some decency in the VAR room. Hopefully, it's something that he can help fix in a way. But the fact that, again, there, there has been that, um, that theory of where all Premier Leagues are born they are all kind of born in the north of England, the northwest of England, around the Wirral, Liverpool, Manchester, Yorkshire. And you're just kind of there like, this is crazy. Um, but no, it's, it's literally one of those things that you'll see like every other year, you'll see <laughs> you'll see loads of like um, the fact that 
you know, Mike Dean goes to all these Man United and Arsenal games and he loves to be a showman on the pitch as well. And you'll see articles about it. You'll see the tweets about it. And you're just kind of there like, oh, yeah, this is crazy because there's so much more um, where he could have given more penalties. And I think it's one of those things that a lot of people will really enjoy listening to this because no one really mentions referees on podcasts or referees in general anyway because they're always forgotten. They're like a cab driver, basically, like in Sherlock Holmes. You always forget the cab driver wherever you're going in, in a cab. But realistically speaking, Mike Dean is someone who realistically won't be missed. I won't miss him personally. But I think he's someone who really needs to be on this villain's list. So, yeah, really well done, Jack. Do you have any closing messages on um, Mike Dean for this episode? Not really, but do you, is there like a particular ref uh, that's particularly bad for Man United these days? It's not particularly bad for Man United, but is the... Um, he's that Turkish referee who is in the Champions League games, in the European games and that kind of thing. He has a, I think it's called Setin, um, but that referee has a real place in my heart and I know he's got a special place in hell, uh, Alper Setin. So he's the referee who did the whole red card against Nani um, in that 2013 oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Champions League game, sent him off. He was our referee for the England versus Croatia semi-final in the World Cup. And you're just kind of there, like, giving everything to Croatia so they could slow the game down. He couldn't care less as well. Um, there's one game I think he, he managed us as well against Sevilla, where we did awful, against Barcelona away, where we did awful. But again, it's the referee who every second decision just doesn't give it to us as well. So here's someone that springs to mind. Um, but I'm literally just kind of there, like, this guy shouldn't be a referee anymore. He makes so many mistakes. He is someone who's really upset the balance of, of European football in a way. And he slows the game down. He loves being a ref that slows the game down. It's awful when you see referees like that as well. And he makes the stupid decisions. I remember after that whole nanny incident, Rio Ferdinand and Everett going right up to his face. And Rio Ferdinand was literally just clapping his hands in his face. I'm just there like, good on you. Because this was literally how it was feeling. I'm just there like, it's so insulting. Insulting referee, I swear. But yeah, that was a passion out of it as well. I'm glad I'm doing this before Ramadan, so I feel a lot more relaxed when I'm fasting, which will be good as well. Um, but no, Jack, we've got Ashley Cole, we've got Roman Abramovich, and we've got Mike Dean on your list as well. So if I had to tell you, if you if you were at the Emirates and you saw Ashley Cole, Roman Abramovich, and Mike Dean, if you had to, which one of them would you say? hello to which one of them would you swear at and which one of them would you start fighting with so one's a pleasantry one's a a little bit of abuse and one of them's a full-on scrap and you can get all your Arsenal fans involved in it as well that is just so hard Uh, I think even though I'd put Cole top of the list Mm. in terms of being a villain, I think because of like the fact that he did, he did play for us and kind of win stuff with us. And I probably would have to say the pleasantry to him. Um, the abuse, I'd say the abuse to Roman, mm. just because if I did get into a scrap with him, I, I don't know what would happen to me. The, the lawyers would be on yeah. you. Like, the lawyers would be on you. Be yeah. there, like, no, you can't be do that. Can't be doing yeah. that. 
<laughs> and then the, the the scrap with Mike Dean, he, he'd probably love to scrap too. So yeah, it's yeah. true. It'd, it'd be good to see that as well. But no, this this list has really got me thinking because I'm just kind of there. Like I can see it from your perspective more than anything from an Arsenal point of view of how these lot of just annoys you yeah. how they've really got under your skin in certain times as well and it's just great to kind of hear it in that way as well so um, yeah Ashley Cole Roman Abramovich and Mike Dean featuring a little snippet from Carlos Tevez from myself as well um, but just before we leave Jack I just wanted to know what have you got kind of planned for the rest of the year where can everyone find you on social media and um, yeah where can we find your podcast basically uh, yeah, so if you put in hashtag uh, FTLOL on kind of any any podcast platform, really, will be on there and on like the socials. I think we're just FTLOL podcast mm. on like, Twitter and Instagram and stuff. And yeah, in terms of um, stuff we've got planned this year, so yeah, I've done sort of some more top 10 topics which I suppose one that's quite relevant by the time this comes out will be the top 10 relegated sides because it, it'll be around sort of relegation season when at that point and yeah just doing some Premier League stuff um, I, I really like to do the kind of top 10 um, players by country so I'm hoping to, to get a few more of them out in the yeah, near future as well definitely and like and, I said before if you need me for one of them let me know I'll jump in it'll be fun yeah I have uh, I've, I've got one actually which I think you'd be quite good for which I'll uh, speak to you about after but yeah that's I think cool. that'd be good no that's all good um, but yeah I'll leave your details in the um, description below Everyone, thank you very much for listening. Uh, this has been myself, Hamza, and it's been Jack from For the Love of Football Lips. Yeah, F-T-L-O-L, um, which I always get tongue-tied with. Again, we have both really long podcast names, so it's tongue-twisters tongue for us both. Um, but no, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Take care, and we'll see you after Ramadan. Bye. <laughs>